Good morning, church. I would uh, be remiss if I didn't mention uh, in a, a series where we're talking about being shaped by the story that we just had kind of a celebration of story last week in the Oscars. Now, Cole said I had to mention the Oscars because we always mention sports, and obviously the Oscars is like the celebration of art. <laughs> What's interesting, if, if you look at what's going on in, with story and the idea that we're being shaped by these stories, we just heard this dramatic reading, and what, what's happening in the scriptures and how, how the story of scripture shapes our own lives, we need to recognize that there's always this theme of redemption. Redemption. Redemption is an interesting word. We use it a lot as Christians. We even hear it when we're talking about story and the story arcs. Redemption comes from the idea of being redeemed from slavery, being bought out of slavery, being brought out of slavery. And the Oscars often use that theme of slavery and redemption uh, as kind of choice markers for some of the movies they end up nominating. For example, this last Oscars, we just had a movie uh, nominated called The Room. Have you heard about The Room? I don't know if I can bear to go watch it. It's about a woman and her son who are basically enslaved in a room. They're trapped. And I've heard people being brought to tears by this movie. Earlier, we had a movie like Django Unchained. Another movie I haven't seen myself, but I know a lot of people who are talking about this movie, and it's, it's very powerful because you, you end up seeing the, the effects of slavery. It was nominated for best, uh, I think it won Best Supporting Actor and Best Original Screenplay, and nominated for Best Picture. Another film which I did see, and it was very difficult for me to watch because one of the characters just reminded me of myself because he, he was a ginger slave owner. And I looked at him, and I, and I just, I, I saw the history of my people and some of the evil that's been inflicted. Twelve years a slave. That was a hard movie to watch. I don't know if, if you watched it. Again, it, it won Best Picture and, and the first black filmmaker to, to win and, and Best uh, Script as well. There's a, a history of the idea of redemption from slavery at the Oscars. In fact, there's a, an old movie you probably all have seen, The Ten Commandments. When it came out, it was considered, it was one of the taglines, this is the, the greatest event in motion picture history. And I remember as a little kid watching it, and even though the, the special effects were kind of old by the time I was on the scene, it was still amazing. Charlton Heston, and, and you... And you, you you could feel the power of the story. We won't mention the Exodus, Gods, and Men movie because I'm not quite living up to the reputation. But isn't it interesting how a story from Scripture can, can capture the imagination of our whole society? In fact, the story of the Exodus is a theme that is continually brought up in literature of all kinds, whether it's secular, sacred, 
Because the, the Exodus is a great story. The Exodus is a, is a story which shapes our culture, and I believe it's a story which we need to continually return to, even though we know it, in order to let it shape our lives. Let's begin in Exodus 3, 4. The people of Israel have been enslaved for 400 years. Moses has been found out to be a Hebrew sympathizer within the court of Pharaoh. And so he's been exiled. And now here we go. He's climbed up a mountain and he sees this burning bush. And it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush. Moses! Moses! And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the the message that Moses first receives from God. And he hears it, and he's asked to imagine it. He's asked to believe it, to have faith in the saving power of God. And I can imagine he's thinking back, he's just remembering the pictures that he's seen of how the slaves are being treated and need to be seen, the, the, the pictures of the, the, the wealth of the Pharaoh, the power of the Pharaoh. I think to myself about, I was watching recently the, the cartoon, Prince of Egypt, with my kids. And I remember we're watching the scene and we're seeing the slaves, and I remember my son Justice just kind of crying out, like, Dad, like, why do they keep hitting him like that? And try to explain what humans will do to other humans for power. And you know what? It's a little bit hard to relate to personally, isn't it? If you're honest, most of us, I'd say, overwhelming majority, we probably haven't been in, in conditions which we can kind of relate to, to slavery in that sense of being unable to go about freely, being beaten, being misused and abused to that extent. 
And so sometimes when we hear the story, it's kind of, oh yeah, God did things in the past. I mean, and it's hard for us to write to it personally. But I just want to take a moment and just think about the, just the concept of slavery and think about what Scripture says about slavery. Because Scripture tells us Jesus himself says, he who sins is a slave to sin. And so we are all slaves in a certain sense. We are all subject to these conditions which we feel like we're out of control. And we'll talk a bit about how the gospel redeems that. But I want for a moment just to think about the bondages that we see in our society. You probably see them during your week. You probably see them in your own life. You see them all around. There's so many things like addictions. And those could be really heavy addictions. I've seen loved ones torn apart by alcoholism, by drugs, by pornography, sex, and, and food. How about just being addicted to entertainment? Can't stop watching. Addicted to the internet. So our phone's going off. Oh, what, did someone like my picture? Addicted to just money. And we can rationalize, oh, i got to provide for my family. Addicted to power. There's something about being able to be powerful. To do what you want. And even in the dark side, I was like, to, to force others to do what you want. It's this lure that humans have. Fame. Addictions to fame, just getting your name out there, being known. How about addictions to knowledge? Some of us are like addicted to books. So I just want to know more. I feel like we know things. Like this, this is an addiction. Things that you don't necessarily, they're not always evil, the things that are enslaving us. What's happening for, for slavery is an exploitation. There is an exploitation happening to us. All these things that we've been talking about are change which allows the world to exploit us, that allows the evil one to exploit us. And yet, there is a promise of rest. There is a promise of redemption. God is the bondage breaker. God is the redeemer, the saver. God can break addictions. God can help you change the world. And it begins with, with worship. I think a lot of times when we hear the story of the Exodus, we don't recognize the, the role that worship is actually playing in the breaking of all these chains. Let me read to you, just down the page a little bit, Exodus 3, starting at verse 18. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are going to go to the king of Egypt, and you're going to say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Do you know that Exodus began with a simple request to, Hey, can we have a little revival crusade? Can we just have church for a couple days? worship our God for a little bit? 
But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless the mighty hand compels him. And so I will stretch out my hand and I will strike the Egyptians with all wonders and I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. It's this promise. The original call for freedom was simply a call for the people to be able to worship their God. The Exodus begins with a call to prayer, with a call to singing out to God. You could say the Exodus begins with a call to religious freedom. When we worship, we become truly free for the first time. We first open our hearts to allowing the Spirit speak to us, and when we accept Jesus, and we become truly worshiping God for the first time. We become freed in a way that overcomes all enslavement. Because human beings are meant to worship. That's why we're created. It's not because God needs our worship. Oh, I, I need sucking up the worship. It's because when we worship, worship is basically just a communion with God, and we're meant to be beings in relationship with God. And, and, and it's freeing. I don't know about you. I was just at Fluid Conference last night, and we were praising and worshiping God with all sons and daughters and that people. And there's moments when, I, when I'm worshiping God when I, I cannot feel better in the world. There's no stronger, more beautiful feeling than having this communion with God. And when you worship in, in a true sense, that's when all of the chains start breaking away. And Pharaoh knew it. Pharaoh knew, if I let these guys worship their God, they're going to realize that he's more powerful than me. They're going to realize that he can do what he wants. They're going to they're start believing in something outside of me. And so he tries to crush really quickly that idea that there's a God who's greater than the God called Pharaoh. It's a battle of the gods. Who's going to be worshipped? In a certain sense, you could say, like, what you worship enslaves you. It can sound really harsh. You think about worshipping God and, oh, are, are, are we slaves to God? Well, as Christians, we, we, we are called to be slaves to Christ. The difference is that God, as you worship him, gives you true freedom for the first time. Because every human being is meant to worship. Every human being is always following after something, chasing after something, trying to fill something in their life. Like you are always trying to fill your life up. And it's not until you worship God where you're actually free to enjoy your life. Pharaoh knew that worshiping God would free their hearts, it would free their minds, so he wouldn't allow it. And that's when God puts up the exit signs. The signs and the wonders of the plagues start to come. And every time one happens, there's a call, let my people go. There's water turning into blood. There's, there's frogs, there's lice, there's flies, there's diseased livestock, there's boils and thunderstorms of hail and fire. A locust swamping. Darkness covers the earth. And then finally... The firstborns are taken, including Pharaoh's own. And Pharaoh finally 
realizes that his son who was to be a god is no more. And he probably realizes he himself is not a god. And he finally relents. And we all know the events. Nothing prevents God's people from worshiping him to their full extent. But then Pharaoh laments. He sends his army after them, hell-bent. And they sink into the Red Sea like cement. There isn't even a remnant. Our God is a saving God. The story of our lives needs to be always turning back to our God is a saving God. That's what he does, that's who he is, that's what he loves to do. That's what he's done for you. That's what he's calling you to. Not only does God release the Israelites from slavery, he then reveals himself to them. He opens up, he pulls back the veil a bit. At Mount Sinai, he gives them the Ten Commandments, and they respond with abandonment. See, one of the most difficult realities when we talk about God freeing humanity from slavery, and you might have experienced this when you, when you first come to Christ, it's like, I'm free, I'm, I'm unchained, I, I'm being able to live life free. But eventually, it's easy to jump back into another form of slavery. Even as God says, to, I want to be in a relationship with you, here's what it looks like. He starts to lay out these, these laws to help them govern themselves and become a, a great nation, like all the other nations that had their laws. Even as those, those rules or those uh, parameters for the relationship are being written, they are already enslaving themselves to idols. Because the heart wants to do its own thing. It would, it would sometimes feel better to choose to enslave yourself to something because you, you have this illusion of freedom. And so these other gods are chased after. And it's kind of a little bit scary when they, when they, when they hear the voice of God rumbling and, and when they hear the, the law and they see that this is a holy, 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 holy God. This is a God of purity. This is a God that is so far other than us. He's separate. He's set himself apart. And yet he's kind of stooping down to our, our level and he wants to speak with us. But it, it, it's, it's frightening. I'd rather like worship a cow that's made out of gold because it's worth a lot of money and it's tangible. I can hold it. These Ten Commandments come down, and they might feel onerous. And in fact, they're actually freeing. What they're doing is helping them be freed of all the enslavements we have in our lives. Let me give you an example. One of the, the Ten Commandments is every week, take a day off. The Pharaoh treated them like they were cattle. There's no freedom. Every single day they're working and they're working and they're working. They're not images of God. And so they recognize, well, God rested, and now you're called to rest. Freedom. Don't, don't lust after your neighbor's things. Free yourself from those addictions. 
Don't murder. Free yourself from your hatred and your, your anger. See, God is free him. He's not just physically free him. He's freeing them spiritually, mentally. But the Israelites do not respond the best to this newfound freedom. What we see is like God has moved them from, from shackles to tabernacle, from absence to, to presence. And they had this cloud and this pillar, and, and he's basically showering down upon them everything they need. And even as Moses is up on a mountain having a theophany, down below there is cacophony. Just sounds, resounding gongs. They're moving from the astonishment at promises of divinity to this, like, abandonment of humanity. They are responding to God's gracious saving actions by moving from his provision to their own perversion. The, the heavenly man that comes down is meant by, by grumbling. Idolatry. Read what it says in Numbers eleven eighteen. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you've wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? How soon we forget. Do you ever find yourself in a similar place? Just kind of thinking to your heart. The things that he's done once had you floored. And now you're bored by the Lord. Eh. This bread's kind of plain. Remember we got meat every once in a while in Egypt in our chains. I think about our lives as Christians, and I was like, oh, kind of boring now, eh? It's the same old, same old. Read my Bible, pray. It's easy to just kind of turn it into a routine and forget that you've been freed for a reason. You've been claimed, renamed, are you kidding me? Better off in Egypt. Like when you read that, you're just like, what? How do, they, how, how do they think like that? You were in slavery. You couldn't free yourself. You couldn't feed yourself. You were mastered by, by forces that were much bigger than you. And now you're actually contemplating going back. How does this happen? Yesterday, uh, Danielle Strickland spoke and she talked about the idea of freeing from oppression. She says this line I really thought was important. She talked about fear is the currency of oppression. 
couple ways. Pharaoh was afraid that the people of Israel were getting too big, and so he was afraid, so he tried to put a lid on it. So from the oppressor's standpoint. And then from the Israelite's standpoint, they're afraid, oh no, what will Pharaoh do? And now they're just afraid of like, oh man, what happens if we don't get to have gourmet food for the rest of our lives? They have fear of like this, these changes. They're, they are afraid that they will end up worse off than they were in Egypt. And so their spirits are defeated because at least they had meat. They could eat it. There was a fear of missing out. Missing out on food. And you know what? I want to just throw this out there. I get it, actually. When I started to read this, I was like, I've been enslaved to food. Food's one of those things that are very easy to, to capture you. To, to, it's one of these things that are, I love sugar. I love chips. And I'm not saying it's bad. And I know people who are able to eat it. And, but I'm just saying for my own self, I say, like, struggling. And I'm kind of, you know, they call them comfort foods, right? It's kind of, there's a lot of these addictions, even simple ones like that, coming from things in our past or things that we don't even recognize. It's like, oh. And so I'll eat a chocolate bar. I'll eat a bag of chips. And I gotta admit, it's been good lately. I've been working and, and trying to eat better, and, um, and it's been like a couple of months. And I've lost some weight. And I'm all excited, yeah. But then every once in a while, I just like out of nowhere, just get this like, oh, I know it's better not to eat it. I know that I'm doing well, but there's something that wants me. I just want to gorge. Have you have you felt that before? And I'm I. I recognize, like, one of the problems is you can go the opposite way, and then you become a slave to dieting. Everything's always this balancing act, right? But where are the places in your life that, that you, you don't get to, to understand or you can't see the future? You don't have the imagination to kind of realize, like, I could go, I could go if, if I just let go of this thing I'm enslaved to, this is where, I, where I'd be. It's sometimes easier to live in slavery than it is each day depending on God. That's one of the problems. Each day they need him to give them food. And they're like, eh, I liked it when I just knew that my captors were giving me my food. So this, is, this faith thing is not an easy thing every morning, hoping that there's manna and then later quail. And I love how God kind of says to them, I'm going to give you meat, and you're going to get as thick as meat as you were of the bread. So you recognize what are you doing? Where are the places in your life that you're complaining like the Israelites? Maybe there's some places you're like, God, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough power. Where are the places in your life where you're being short-sighted? We've got to keep letting the Lord check those things. Like the Spirit working all those things. Where have you forgot your Redeemer? Their just deserts was the desert. And look at the promise that was given from the very beginning. God promises them a land flowing with milk and honey. Sweet honey. The problem of their situation becomes... One of imagination. 
They don't really believe in the God of creation. Numbers 14, 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They actually conspire together and they, and they actually are going to stone them. Okay, let's, let's go back to Egypt. Like, now we're serious about this. What is the problem here? They're actually contemplating going back to captivity. They're going to stone Moses and Aaron. Trick back to their enslavement. Where are the brave men? Let me read verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Their fear has overcome their imagination to understand the possibilities that God is promising. They go to this amazing land, and yet all they can see are the obstacles. And there's Joshua. He's like, don't worry, we're going to lick them like popsicles. Do you, know, do you know those people in your life who are Joshua's? Like, have that imagination. You call it a prophetic imagination. Understanding the possibilities and encouraging us forward. If you've had those gifts, like, please continue to, to pour them into others. It's not the most common. That people fail to have vision. They forget God's provision every step of the way. And the result is 40 years in the desert. I feel really bad for Moses. I was thinking about his story. Like, he goes for 40 years in the desert out of Egypt. He goes back, gets his people, and then he gets to spend another 40 years in the desert. 80 years in the desert. So when you complain to God about your times in the desert, and you want to be like Moses, the entire generation needed regeneration. They needed to become a people of veneration, to remember God's power was on demonstration. They just needed spiritual imagination. And only Caleb and Joshua get to see the promised land because they understood it. They could see it. They could believe in it. I wonder how many of us have spent years wandering in the desert. 
Sometimes it's preparation, like it was for Moses, for his calling. Sometimes it's because we've been grumbling the whole time. How many of us don't realize that our our lack of trust in God is actually holding us back? It's not because he doesn't love us. It's basically because we forgot how to love him. But he's gracious. That's the amazing part of Jesus. And he forgives. And he's waiting there. Where is our vision? Can, can you imagine the promised land? Yesterday I saw Erwin McManus speak, uh, fluid, and um, he had said some really interesting things. He's talking about how humans are future-oriented creatures, the only creatures that are kind of oriented towards the future. So we think to the future. And he talked about faith as basically being um, a, an ability to imagine the future as God says it's going to be. Something unseen, right? Confidence in things that aren't seen. That's faith. And I thought about it. I thought it was really interesting because I was thinking back to when we first began to talk about fluid. Um, a guy named Paul and Sam came together and they said, there's nothing for young adults in the GTA. Like, let's do something. And so we got a team together and I started dreaming. And then five years ago, first, kind of first one. And it was a good success. We had like 800 people. And then it's been growing since then. We got like 1,500 people. And I was thinking like, it takes the imagination to say, like, who's going to step up and help try to serve the people. And, and a lot of people, ah, that's not going to happen. You're not going to, right? That's, thinking about the, 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 when this church was founded, when I hear the stories, like, so people had imagination. Like, you know what? Like, I think God is calling us to do something new, a new work. And I'm sure there were naysayers. There were grumblers. And yet, God gives a vision. And, and those who are able to step into that well, now you're sitting in the promised land, aren't you? Something about the promised land is very interesting to me, too, is that the promised land with humans is always the next step and the next thing we can see, but then, then there's a lot of work to do when you get to the promised land, right? It's like, <laughs> Joshua would say, he's like, yeah, I'm in the promised land. Oh, my, there's a lot of work to do here. There's a, a bunch of armies coming over with swords, and they're, they're going to fight us. And then you have the next vision. Okay, Lord, I, I feel like the Christian life is a, kind of goes through the cycles. I don't know about you in your own walk, but I, I, I finally get freed from something, and then I realize, oh man, there's this other enslavement. And God will graciously work with me and give me the vision and faith and try to work through it. And finally, sometimes I return back to it. Like, this, is, this is the walk, right? The promised land that we're imagining isn't until we get to the final promised land. There's like steps of promised lands. Even the history of Israel, we're going to see, like, oh, going back in exile. How are we going to get back to the promised land? This is the cycle of history. So where, were, where are you at in the cycle? Not sure. Are you at the place now where you're like, you're feeling the slavery part the most? Or are you just been kind of redeemed and now you're at the kind of bored and grumbling place? Or are you in the place where now you're starting to imagine the promised land and you want to have faith in your... This is the story that we're continually working through. 
Wherever we are in the story, what we need to focus on is redemption, is on grace of God being a saving God. With the, if you're in a place where you're in slavery, look to the cross. There is a promise of freedom in Christ. That these things can be broken. And I know it's hard to believe, and I, I've seen people just like, I will never beat this. And you know what? I've seen in Christ people beat all of those addictions. If you're in a grumbling place, you're like, oh, this is the same old, same old place. You need to look at your redemption and remember what God gave you and be thankful for it. And if you're at the place where you're looking just across the, the promised land, you've got to remember God is a gracious, good God. And he's with you. And he doesn't give you those things because you deserve them or you followed the commands enough. Commands end up becoming their own form of enslavement. It's because he loves you. He's gracious to you. The reason the commandments, the commandments don't save you, what happens is when you disobey the commandments, then you're turning away from God. You're not, you're not letting his grace pour out on you. It's like you're turning your back to him when he's trying to hand you something. It's not like you get the thing because you were good. I want to just quickly think again. When we think about the idea of slavery in our society, it's probably the most blaring thing we can think about is the history of Europeans taking Africans to North America and enslaving them for 400 years. At the Oscars, when we saw Chris Rock kind of speaking against racism in Hollywood, he's speaking as someone who's a descendant of slaves. And what I love when I think about the Exodus story is the Exodus inspired the Emancipation Proclamation. The Exodus inspired black Americans and white Americans and Europeans to come together and to overthrow this thing because God hates slavery. It's right there in the scripture. It's very clear. It's how people would read the Bible and turn it, but it's clear God hates this thing. The, the Exodus also, by the way, inspired um, the existence of the church in North America because what happened was there was persecution of the Protestants. Those who would claim salvation by faith alone were being persecuted. The Plymouth Brethren, uh, the Anabaptists, the Baptists, like all the Protestant groups were being sent basically. They're like, oh, I gotta escape to religious freedom. And they actually thought of it as an exodus from slavery. They, they used that picture to bring them here. So in our own spiritual history, the Exodus has been this freeing. And there's still religious persecution. We have brothers and sisters right now who are in need of this freedom. There's actually, Christians are the most enslaved people on earth right now. Being taken in slavery, actual slavery in countries. But it's also happening right here. I have a pastor friend who was living in Milton. And one day the cops show up next door and take a bunch of people out, and they had had people captured in their, in their house and were selling them out. Like actual slavery. So part of the call of, of this idea of um, being redeemed is that we have this call to being part of the fight still for mission, for liberation, sexual trafficking, I'm thinking of a slavery to poverty, 
So things like what's happening today at Next Door or doing the Imagine Next Door. It's like, what is it that God is asking us to dream? Where is he, where is he calling us? Can we have faith that he's moving us? So this is at 6 p.m. tonight, so if you can make it, please come out because it's part of this idea of the Exodus. Or even that, well, we just saw the team up here going to Peru. Part of what they're going to do is explore and start to see and, and hopefully start to understand the ways in which the, the world works and the ways in which the systems are working to enslave people and capture them in cycles of poverty and things like that. Hopefully we can, you know, take some of our money and invest in what they're doing. I know there's still some need there. So that's collectively fighting together to still fight against the systematic enslavement. But there's also the personal side, right, where we have our fears that are holding us back, our anxieties that are holding us enslaved, our addictions. Some of them are, are enslaved by our past. Things have happened to us that have held us. And it, uh, some other, sometimes that's from other people. The, the opinions of other people are enslaving us. It can be our own feelings, feelings of inadequacy, anger. There's a lot of things that enslave us. Our thoughts could be enslaving us. Getting cycles of thought. Our wealth could be enslaving us. Try to preserve it, hold on to it. Our poverty could be enslaving us. Our health could enslave us. We still need Exodus. There's still personal redemption. The good news is, the gospel is, that we are saved. That there is hope. That in Jesus Christ, you have been part of what we call the third exodus. Freed from slavery. The scriptures actually say, and this is what I love, it, Paul very clearly says, you are no longer a slave to sin. I know there's a lot of debate about what's going on in Romans there, the, what I want to do, I don't do, and, and, and all of that. But it does say we are not slaves to sin. What happens is the old man is dead on the cross, but we still give him chunks of our life. And that's the stuff we need to start to learn to clean up. Allow the power of the gospel, which has freed us to live lives free of things and start to living an empowered Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are freed. We have an exodus through Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us. We are no longer slaves. We need to have the imagination, the faith in that which we do not see. And you are already free, and he is in the midst of freeing you. In Scripture, Jesus Christ is prefigured in the figure of Moses, because Jesus comes and brings a new law, a new covenant. He's prefigured in the Passover. He is the lamb that was sacrificed, the blood which allows death to pass past our door so that we have eternal life. So today, as we journey in the story to communion, well, I ask you just take a moment. There's, like, there's cards here. And we've been doing this idea of two-line stories. So today I'd like to, just to, to reflect and, and take some time. 
Maybe write down, what have you been enslaved to? Something that you feel has enslaved you. I know that's personal and difficult, but sometimes by naming these things, we're able to to recognize. Maybe you just need to pray it in your heart and say it to God. I find it's really helpful to to write it down sometimes, to, to see it. And then, write down, what what does the promised land look like? Just a moment of imagination. Like, let the Spirit move in your heart. And just like, what does it look like to have freedom in Christ in that area? And we'll bring it and we'll place them here. Put it in God's hands and begin together to, to trust, to imagine the power of the gospel working through these parts in our lives. From the day he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. It's poured on the doorposts of your heart. And you are now freed. You are passed over from the law of sin and death to a law of life and liberty. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim redemption in Christ. You proclaim that God is a God who loves and who saves. Let's pray. Lord, I pray as we worship you that we open our eyes to see the places where we are going back to slavery, where you've freed us, but yet we continually return to the the old life. Would you show us where you want to free us right now? Allow the, the reality of your freedom to become part of how we live our lives. Would you show us what, it, what that looks like? Could you give us this, the power to, to imagine your transformative power working in our hearts and transforming us into the image of Christ through your spirit? As we take this cup and as we eat this bread, may we be remembering the story of your redemption of our lives. And I pray for anyone here who may not have yet claimed Christ, hasn't yet allowed his offer of salvation to become a reality in their lives, I pray that they would, at this moment, Lord God, take time, and as they write on those cards, they would ask you, Lord God, to forgive them of their sin. And would they trust and have faith that by Christ they are redeemed from that sin, that they also now, through repentance and through faith, are able to join us at this table and partake in your glorious story of redemption. Amen.